1: Now it's time to think and discern. This is Bob Bernie Live.
0: And welcome to the five o'clock hour of Bob Bernie Live. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, joining me. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that we are deeply divided. In America today, we are divided left and right, liberal, conservative. But probably today, I mean, and I'm talking today, there is no topic more divisive than that of abortion. This past weekend, we had large protests here in Columbus, Ohio, over the overturning of Roe versus Wade. We've had over 50 pregnancy centers vandalized in one way or another. Thousands and thousands of people in the streets protesting the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Well, there is a brand new book that I think helps make sense out of why this is such a divisive issue and why, Even though Roe versus Wade has been overturned, this is not the end. This is just the beginning. That's why it's my privilege to welcome to the program Ryan T. Anderson, the author of Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. He is also the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Ryan Anderson, thank you for joining us on Bob Bobberney Live today.
1: Happy to be with you. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: Well, it is my pleasure, my privilege. Uh, Usually the first question I ask of an author is, what is the genesis? Writing a book is hard work. I don't know of anybody who has ever written a book trying to get wealthy. Uh, it's, It's a lot of hard work. So why did Ryan T. Anderson take a large portion of his life and write, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing?
1: Oh, sure. That's an easy question. Although you're exactly right. You you don't get rich writing books, and it does take a lot of time. Um, And the reason why is that my co-author, Alexander DeSantis, and I, uh, back about a year ago, we could count to five. Uh, We said there are finally five votes on the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn Roe, to overturn Casey. And therefore, come the end of June, beginning of July, there's going to be a new moment um, in the past 50 years of American history in which you and I and all of our listeners need to persuade our friends, our family, our neighbors about the truth, um, the truth about the unborn child in the womb, the truth about how abortion kills that child, harms that mother. And we needed to you know, compile all of the best arguments in one place to really empower uh, readers to be able to bear witness to the truth uh, about the dignity of life uh, and about the harms of abortion.
0: So did you honestly see the Supreme Court decision coming. And the reason I asked that, I didn't. I thought there was a chance, but it shows how much I know. I thought that they would uphold the Mississippi law, but the ruling would be very narrow so as to not overturn Roe versus Wade. But are you telling me that you really predicted that Roe v. Wade would be overturned? Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, we, we more or less could count to five. We thought even without the chief justice, um, there are now the votes on the court with um, uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg being replaced with Justice Amy Coney Barrett. There are five votes to overturn Roe. Um, Mississippi is asking them not just to uphold their 15-week bill, but they're asking them to overturn Roe and Casey. And that's why we got to work immediately on the book. We wanted the book to come out the very last week of June because that was when it was most likely that the Supreme Court would be overturning Roe. That's when Dobbs was going to be most likely coming out. Um, And that's really what motivated us to do the book, because now we are in a new moment. Um, Right now, Mm -hmm. citizens can persuade our elected representatives to vote on good laws uh, protecting unborn babies and their mothers uh, from the violence of abortion.
0: The book is Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. It is published by Regnery Publishing. You can get it at Regnery. You can get it at Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Uh, Ryan, I've been watching this abortion thing for a long time, probably longer than you have, because I believe I'm probably considerably older than you are. But I remember very well back when Roe was first first ruled uh, that the favorite phrase from the left was safe, legal, and rare. Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, used to talk about safe, legal, and rare. What happened when we went, how did we get from safe, legal, and rare to let's celebrate and even shout on the street corner abortion? How, how did that, that paradigm shift come about?
1: So, so there's a lot that took place there. I mean, one is that um, Rowan Casey taught a generation of young people that abortion wasn't a tragic necessity, but was a constitutional right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so after you have two generations who come of age with Roe and Casey at the law of the land, that starts to influence how they think about the issue. Uh, I would also say that the safe, legal, and rare formulation was always um, uh, in tension with itself. Why should it be rare if it's safe and legal? What is it about abortions? that makes you want to say that it should be rare unless there's something wrong about it. There's something less than desirable about it. And so I think certain activists saw the weakness of that phrasing. They saw that saying safe, legal, and rare implied that um, abortion isn't desirable. Uh, so they wanted to the change the formulation, to shout your abortion. Right, Abortion is a good thing. It's a positive social good because it allows women to be equal to men. Now, Alexandra and I argue in the book that that's a lie. Um, that women are equal to men. Our society should treat them as equal to men. Um, But if the cost of equality is having women sterilize their own bodies and kill their own children, that's a false form of equality. And women deserve better. And we owe them better. Uh, And that's where you see, you know, a younger generation of pro-life scholars and activists. um, It's largely driven by women, women who know that abortion hasn't actually achieved equality, and instead it's uh, created a form of antagonism uh, between mothers and their own babies, mothers and their own bodies.
0: Well, the title of the book is Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Uh, And the book is brand new. I have a synopsis of the book, but unfortunately I don't have the book in my hand right now. How deep into the medical aspects of the harm and damage that abortion causes to women, how deep do you go into that topic in the book?
1: Sure. So we have two different chapters that that, that address, you know, some of the medical, well, I guess depending on how you look at it, possibly three. I mean, the first chapter talks about how abortion harms the child by killing the child. And, you know, we go through all the medical literature, um, about when the life of a new human being begins, why it's not, quote, just a clump of cells, why it's a, you know, it's a flesh and blood baby, uh, but it's an unborn baby. It's an underdeveloped baby. It's, it's a baby living in the womb. So we go through that in the first chapter. Second chapter looks at the harms um, to women, to the mothers. And then the fourth chapter looks at the harms to the medical profession itself, right? Because, I mean, abortion has actually corrupted the practice of medicine. It's forced medical doctors to lie uh, about their own profession and about what the science and the medicine shows. But it's that second chapter where we look at immediate physical harms um, to women because of abortion, long-term physical harms to women because of abortion, psychological and emotional harms to women because of abortion, and then cultural harms. And, and that last thing, what I mean by cultural harms is, what does it mean um, to have young girls raised in a society where they're told that in order to be Equal to men, they have to live as if there's something wrong with their body uh, and that they have to transform their body to make their body more like a male body, meaning one that doesn't um, bear offspring inside of the body, one in which they can engage in sexual activity and walk away from the consequences on a so called equal footing as men. So, anyway, so that second chapter goes through, you know, uh, in pretty um, uh, great detail both physical and psychological and cultural harms to women of abortion, both immediate and long-term.
0: All right, we need to take a break. My guest, Ryan T. Anderson, the author, co-author of a brand-new book, and I mean brand-new, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Bobberny Live and with Ryan Anderson.
1: today's news, God's Word, and your thoughts. This is Bob Bernie Live.
0: My guest is Ryan T. Anderson, the author of a brand new book, Tearing Us Apart, How Abortion Harms Everything Solves Nothing, printed by Regnery Publishing. Uh, Ryan, a lot of people frame the abortion argument as purely a religious argument, but it's far more than a religious issue. Wouldn't you agree? Sure. I mean,
1: it's, uh, it's a weird um, set of questions to ask, because on the one hand, you want to say, well, look, um, every human rights issue is ultimately a religious issue, because it was, as we celebrated yesterday with the um, celebration of the Fourth of July and the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and amongst these are the right to life, right? So, so in that sense, it is a religious issue, but that's because all human rights are religious issues, um, that we're all created equal by God, and we're endowed with natural rights, by God. Now, the left wants to reject that, and this is why you see so many people on the left rejecting our nation's founding, rejecting the Declaration, rejecting the, the idea of natural rights. But then they also want to say that, it, that it's somehow religious in a nefarious sense, um, that it's merely religious in the way that, like, not eating meat on Fridays during Lent is, quote, merely yeah, yeah, religious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, there's a biological fact here that each and every one of us was once an unborn child. Right? That twenty week ultrasound picture is a picture of you, of me, of our children, of our grandchildren. Um that each and every one of us was um came into existence as a single cell zygote, a multicell embryo, um, eventually the fetus, the newborn, the toddler, the radio show host, right? Those aren't different um organisms. It's the life cycle of a single organism. And then there's a moral truth that all of us are created equal. And so the question for people who reject this is, which one are you rejecting? The biological reality about when the life of a new human being begins, or the moral principle that all human beings are created equal? Um, And that's why they then want to say, oh, well, this is a religious issue. But biology is not religion, and that basic moral principle is something that you can know even if you aren't religious. This is what St. Paul talks about as the law written on the heart. Uh, So on the one hand, yes, it is a religious issue, because at the end of the day, everything is a religious issue. But on the other hand, no, it's not a religious issue. It's basic biology and it's basic moral philosophy.
0: I think a lot of people, particularly the pro-life community, uh, thought when Roe versus Wade was overturned, well, that's the end of the battle. But I think you make the point of the book, and I believe you would agree, that no, this is not the end. This is really just the beginning of the battle for life. The war has not—a battle has been won, but the war certainly has not been won. Would you concur with that? That's
1: ex- exactly right, and it's why we wrote the book. Overturning Roe was the first step um, towards building both a culture of life, but also enacting a legal system that respects life. So the first step is getting Roe and Casey out of the way. Now it really falls to a new generation of the pro-life movement to get laws passed in all 50 states and at the federal level, uh, ensuring that there can be no lethal violence in the womb, ensuring that mothers are provided with the supports that they need to choose life, supports both from the pregnancy resource centers um, that the activists keep attacking – and, you know, things like fiscally responsible, prudent family policy, things that, you know, Senator Rubio has been working on amongst others, uh, things like what Texas did. Texas banned abortion after six weeks, the Texas heartbeat bill. Texas also allocated $100 million to the Texas Alternatives to Abortion program. Right. So pro-lifers are already doing this. Right. We're, we're, we're loving both the baby and the mother. We wrote the book thinking we now need to be doing this just um, on the next level. Because with Roe gone, we've seen now it's not just one fight to overturn Roe. It's now a fight in all 50 states to make sure that good public policy is enacted and in blue states to avoid bad public policy from being enacted.
0: Yeah, I have seen dozens of articles, literally, by liberal pundits and liberal politicians uh, saying, in essence, well, now are you going to take care of all these babies that have been born? Who's going to buy all the diapers and a... And every time I see those, Ryan, I say, we're already doing that. We're we're already. Pregnancy centers all over America are not just preventing abortions. But one of the reasons, in fact, one of the primary reasons they exist is to provide help after the baby is born. And how have we allowed the liberal media to remove that part of the equation from us?
1: Well, the first thing to say is is to to echo you. um, You're exactly right. The pro-life movement has been doing this. Uh, It's been doing this for as long as the pro-life movement existed, which is to say for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, Pregnancy resource centers, uh, organizations, dedicated to assisting women in difficult situations to take care of both that mother and that baby. And the media ignores it. The media um, ignores that these things exist. When they don't ignore that they exist, they lie, lie about them. They say that these centers um, uh, lie to women, that these centers engage in deceptive practices. They don't cover it when these centers are attacked, the vandalization, the firebombing mm-hmm. that we've seen in the past several weeks. And then they do nothing functionally equivalent. So Planned Parenthood isn't providing young mothers with years of housing, with medical care, with diapers. It's very interesting because the people who claim to be pro-choice don't actually do anything to assist women to choose life, whereas people who identify as pro-life, they don't just work to make abortion illegal; they also work to make abortion unthinkable. All right, and I therefore, knew, to empower women.
0: I, I knew our time would go. Fast, and I, I try to always ask this as the last question for an author. And we've got about one minute. Uh, when someone picks up your book, Tearing Us Apart How Abortion Harms Everything and Solves Nothing, uh, one of our listeners reads it, puts it down. What is the takeaway that you want them to have when they've finished your book?
1: I think the takeaway should be uh, one of wow. I always had the sense that abortion was wrong because I always knew that abortion stopped a beating heart, but I had no idea the totality, the reach, the all-encompassing network of lies and of ills that abortion has caused over the past 50 years. And therefore, I'm that much more motivated to combat it, and I'm that much more equipped to um, talk to my friends, my family, my neighbors about the truth of the matter.
0: The book is Tearing Us Apart How Abortion Harms Everything, Solves Nothing by Regnery Publishing. Co author, my guest, Ryan T. Anderson. Ryan, again, God bless you. Thank you for the book. Thank you that all you have done and continue to do. Thank you for giving us your time this afternoon. Thank you. We'll be back.